boom. Okay, here we go. So if you guys didn't hear me before, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17 is where we're going to start. Okay? Um, I don't want to rush through this. I want to be able to take as much time as possible because tonight what we're talking about is very, very important. It's very, very vital. Understanding this will keep you from sickness, it will keep you from disease, and it will bring healing to your body into your mind, um, but it takes an understanding of it, okay? Um, we're going to talk about what it means to be in covenant, we're going to talk about how that affects community, and we're going to talk about communion, and because Ariel's watching me so intently, I will probably stare at her a lot because I like her. Um, so, um, that's Kate's, that's not mine. Uh, nope, this is what I want. <laughs> you don't want raspberry oolong? Nope, coffee. Um, so I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump into it. You guys ready? Yes. Alright, Dad, I thank you for worship. I thank you that there's going to be more worship later. I thank you for communion. Yes. I thank you that uh, the grape juice represents your blood and the remission of sins. And the bread represents your body broken for us so that we may be healed. Uh, I thank you for Amy and her dad, Dave. Um, And as we take communion tonight, we're going to be taking communion for them. And we're going to be declaring healing over them tonight. Um, And we're going to have a better understanding of that through this teaching. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be here. I know that we didn't want to stop worship, but I just pray that that heart of worship that we had before, how intense it was, how intently we were worshiping, would just flow through the rest of the night as we jump into things. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we just love you. We give you all the honor and glory and praise in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so before I jump into these verses, the purpose of this teaching is to show you what communion is, why it's important, how to properly partake in it. Who all is called to partake in it and what it means to be in covenant with the Lord and fellow believers. Okay. Um, If we jump right into 1 Corinthians 11 verses 17 through 34, it says, Now in this that I declared you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. And I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one takes before his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and drink in, or despise you the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This is, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup. When he had souped, said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. 
This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, so let him eat that bread and drink that cup. For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastised by the Lord, or chastened by the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. If any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you come not together to condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Um, so there's a lot in these verses, but this is this is going to be a reference point for the whole night, okay, talking about communion. Because, okay, let's just be honest. How many of you guys grew up Christ, Christian and have taken communion before? Raise your hand. How many of you guys actually know why you take communion? Raise, keep your hand raised. Alright, how many of you guys, even after taking communion, still get sick? Raise your hand. Alright, this is important. This is very important. Okay, communion is an essential part of the Christian faith. It is one of the three sacraments found in Scripture. Alright, there's only three. Catholics, because of their traditions, have seven. Um, Other, uh, Lutherans also have seven. Uh, and Episcopals have seven, but Lutherans and Episcopals and Greek Orthodox. But those four or those three Protestant denominations all broke off of Catholicism, which is why they're similar. They're similar. Um, but having more than three is, is a false doctrine completely. There are only three sacraments found in Scripture. Uh, true worship of the Lord Jesus Christ only has three sacraments. The first is water baptism. The second is communion. And the third, which is one that most people don't count, is foot washing. Oh, ain't nothing like a good foot washing. Let me tell you, that's some good stuff. (laughs) Real talk. Um, Any more than these three, and we are into heresy. Any less than these three, and we miss the mark again. Because of this, it's paramount that we talk about communion, but we cannot truly talk about communion without discussing community and covenant with it. In this set of verses, Paul is describing a physical disease among a uh, physical disease problem in God's people because many of them are weak, many of them are sick, and when it says that many of them are asleep, that means they've died prematurely. So I know in Psalms it says that the Lord has numbered our days, but let's face it, Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. If the Lord had really numbered Lazarus's days to that point in time that he died, Jesus wouldn't have been able to raise him from the dead. Okay, um, some people die prematurely. Mm-hmm. Amen. And we have to understand why. And we have to know who, if we're walking with the Lord enough, then we come to understand who dies prematurely, who we can raise from the dead, and who we can't. Right? Um, the cause of these curses were people ineffectively discerning the Lord's body. And there are three reasons for this, so we're going to discuss them. But before we get into all that, we need to take a look at blood covenant, how it's made, so we can understand what Christ did for us at the cross and why we take communion. Um, There are a lot of Bible verses here that I'm going to give out. 
uh, we're not going to read all of them because there's just way too many. And I just don't really feel like the Lord wants to do that tonight um, as far as covenant goes. When it, when it comes to us breaking down communion a little bit more, we are going to read those because that's important because that's what we're doing tonight. Um, so I'm just going to give out the blood covenant stuff. As we go along, you guys write it down, look it up. It's fascinating. Dude, I love to talk about blood covenant. The greatest blood covenant that we will ever partake in on this earth outside of what Jesus died for us is the blood covenant that is supposed to be made between a husband and wife when they mm-hmm. when they come together on the wedding night. Yeah. Um, the hymen is broken, blood is shed. That is, I mean, and, and the, the picture of it is just so beautiful, too, because the, the man is supposed to be the high priest of the household. The high priest is the only one that can ever go into the Holy of Holies. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the way that God sets our bodies up to look like a temple right. and the way that a man is supposed to be the high priest of the household and perform those priestly duties, it's just a beautiful thing without making it overly sexual. Mm-hmm. And so for anyone who um, has had sex before marriage, no condemnation, no guilt, no shame. Yeah. Um because I was one of those guys, um, and and it took a long time for the Lord to really change my heart on that that subject after I got saved. It took him like two or three years, um, but when it comes to the subject of marriage and the marriage covenant, it is so important. Yeah. It is so important. I can't stress how important it is. I can't stress how important it is to stay pure before you get married. And it doesn't even matter like if you feel like this is the person you're supposed to be getting married to, so you're going to break a couple of the rules of God. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Not for what could be had on the wedding night. Like, I promise you, Kate and I waited all four years that we were dating, and, like, it was tough at times. There were some, especially for me, being a man, like, let's just be honest. It was really hard for me at times. Pun intended. And, uh, it just... It, it, it... it, I gotta throw some humor in there somewhere, and um, <laughs> thank you. Um, however, the wedding night and and the honeymoon was so special because everything was brand new. Yeah, it was how God intended it to be. Um, so, a blood covenant is a form of mutual coveting co- covenanting. Uh, by which two people enter enter into the closest, most enduring, and sacred compact as friends, brothers, or husband and wife. All right. Um, the Hebrew word for covenant is berith. It's uh, in the Strong's. It's H twelve eighty five. If you want to take it out, and it means to cut until blood flows. All right. It's pretty cool, right? Um, the first covenant that was made was made by God in the Garden of Eden. It was after Adam and Eve sinned. The reference for that is Genesis 3, verse 21, and Hebrews 9, 22. And this is in reference to when God went out into the wilderness, cut up the animals, and provided Adam and Eve with clothing. Mm. All right? So God was even making a covenant with his people in the beginning, after the sin. Um, thank you, Bluetooth, for disconnecting. Um, that's how much he loves us and doesn't want to give up on us. Okay, uh, when you're in a covenant with someone, you cannot break it as long as there is faithfulness there. Um, the covenant that God will not break, the covenant with us that God will not break, period, is the covenant that Jesus made when it comes to our salvation. 
Okay, you can be a Christian and be sick your entire life and still get to heaven. Jesus paid the price. He could not swear by any name higher than himself. So he made a covenant for our salvation by himself, which is intense. However, when it comes to the Old Testament covenant, the covenant that talks about what our healing really is and why Christ died to provide that healing for us, um, that's completely different. That is that corresponds directly with our obedience. Um, in faith. And I'm going I'm to break that down for you here in a few minutes. But um, one of the reasons why covenants were made back in the olden days um, included tribal alliances for protection and preservation, business partnerships so that no one takes advantage of each other, or you know, devoted love, such as marriage. And in fact, this idea of covenant was such a great and God idea that even the people who were not Hebrews or Israelites decided to take this idea and run with it. Mm-hmm. If you study... Um, different people groups all over the world there's some form of covenant somewhere and even it transfers into modern day things like when we make uh handshakes with somebody in agreement that's that's a sign of a covenant um wedding rings is a sign of a covenant because back in the olden days rather than wearing rings they would actually take take a knife and like mark themselves so that they were shown to be promised to someone um and even when it comes well, I'll get to that later. But there, there's so many different things um, that go into this whole idea of covenant that we don't have time for tonight. And we're just going to kind of breeze through it so you can see see different things as far as like our redemption goes. Um, but then even more than that when it comes into the aspect of healing, when it comes to why we take communion. So when a blood covenant is made, certain effects occur such as debts and possessions being shared. All the benefits, talents... Assets, liabilities, and debts of the first person are owned and shared equally with the second person. And all of the debts, assets, liabilities, and talents of the second person are equally shared by the first person. Period. Like, when you get married, I know a lot of modern day people say that when you get married, you should have two different bank accounts. No, that's not a covenant. You're violating what a covenant is. You own everything together. It's shared completely in everything. Um... It includes everything that you are, everything that you own, and everything that you owe. Mm. All right? Um, Everything that Kate is, everything that she owes, and everything that she owns is mine as well. There's no separating that. Um, The covenant is so binding that two become one. You know, that's why Jesus said that marriage, or Paul said it's a a mystery marriage is because two become one flesh, right? Mm. Um. But that doesn't just go for marriage, that goes for brotherhood too. Like if you make a covenant with someone who is your brother, you're in it thick and thin, no matter what, together for forever. Um, They would cease to exist as individuals and only exist in relation to that covenant. In this way, we are not to operate apart from our covenant with God, and He does not operate apart from His covenant with us. However, this only works if both parties continue in covenant and do not break it. Because when we break covenant, then curses come, and the other party is no longer required to uphold their end of the covenant until all wrongs are righted. This is why, in Scripture, it says the only reason for divorce is adultery. Or, not adultery. Adultery. (laughs) Adultery. (laughs) Getting tongue-tied. The only reason for divorce in Scripture, period, is adultery. There are reasons for separation for a time, but the only clear-cut reason is a violation of that 
intimacy, that physical intimacy that's supposed to be there. Um, you could even take it even farther than that and say emotional intimacy because you can commit emotional adultery too, you know, um, which is a big deal. So there, there are nine steps to covenant. Nine. <laughs> I can't. I was homeschooled. Math was not my strong suit. Other subjects were. This first step to covenant is an exchanging of your robes, exchanging of clothing. When you exchange clothing, you're saying all that I own and all my belongings are yours. All my possessions are available to you. In uh, Zechariah 3, 3, it says that we uh, have a changing of raiment. God gives us new, new raiment to wear. Um, in Revelation 6, verse 11, it says that God gives us white robes. Um, and then in Isaiah 61, verse 10, it says that he exchanges our, um, what is it, our garments of heaviness for, or for garments of praise. Um, and then in Psalm 91, 93, verse 1, it says that God wears robes of strength, right? So he exchanges all of that for us. So in return, we have a change in raiment, which means we have a change in our countenance, the, ch- the way that we look, the way that we perceive things. Uh, we wear white robes now because of what Jesus did. That's, that's holiness. That's, that's a cleanliness. Um, we wear garments of praise because of what he's done for us. And we wear garments of strength because we're overcomers. We're no longer victims, but we're more than conquerors through Christ who loves us, right? Um, Step two is an exchange of weapons and armor. When you exchange weapons and armor, you are saying, my strength is at your disposal. I will fight to the death for you, and all of my warring ability is available to you. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, it says the weapons of our warfare are no longer carnal, but they're spiritual in nature, able to tear down every lofty thought and imagination and bring it to the obedience of Christ. That was verses 5 through 6. Um, Ephesians 6, verses 12 through 17, gives us a list of the armor of God that we should never take off. We put it on, never take it off. Why do you take it off? Why do you have to put it on every morning? What's the point? Like, stop taking it off. Don't do it. Um... This is, this is important, especially when we talk about us as a community of believers, because we are called to fight for each other. We are called to fight with each other. We cannot avoid that, okay? If we're really going to be called a family, then we have to know how to fight for each other. And that doesn't mean praying prayers against each other's free will, but it does mean that as we go through these subjects of sanctification that we've been going through, we know what each other's struggling with. We don't always have to say it because sometimes that uncovers each other, right? But when we recognize that somebody's battling something, rather than praying against them, we pray for them. We thank God for them. Yeah. Just If you don't know what to pray, thank God for a person. Amen. Thank them for thank God for their identity. And then that spirit that's attacking them. Like last week we talked about self-pity. That was such a good teaching. I listened to it like five times this week. It was crazy. Um, if you recognize self-pity on a person, obviously it takes that person removing self-pity. You can't remove self-pity for them. But you can hit that thing as hard as you can and make it weaker and weaker and weaker with your prayers so that it becomes easier for that person to break free. Does that make sense? Um, This is our warfare, right? Uh, Step three in covenant is the exchanging of names. When you exchange names, you're saying, I no longer want to be associated as being only me, but I will always be associated with us. I will never leave you or forsake you, and you carry the same power that my name carries, right? So 
um, verses for this in Exodus 5, verse 23. God says, Moses, go as the I am. Go as me. And when Moses speaks to Pharaoh, he says, I am, says, let my people go. Right? That's important. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 45, David declares the name of the Lord. He says, How dare you, you uncircumcised Philistine, come against the Lord. I come against you in the name of the Lord, and your end is near. Right? It's crazy. And then he just runs in the battle, you know, whereas a lot of people are just like, I guess I'll get there when I get there. No, David's like, come on, giant, let's do this thing. Um, John, this is probably the most important verse of this section. John 14, verse 13. Jesus gives us his name. He says, no longer will you pray without my authority because I'm giving you my name to use. He holds his word higher than his name. But guess what? His, his word is made flesh in Jesus. So the name of Jesus is equivalent with his word. So like all that authority that the word of God carries and the name of God carries is combined into the name of Jesus. And that's why we pray in the name of Jesus, right? Crazy. Awesome. Um, Isaiah 56, verse 5. Isaiah 62, verse 2. Revelation 2, verse 17. These are all references when we get to heaven and the new heavens and the new earth happen. God gives us a brand new name, period. A name that's based on what He has called us to do, what He has called us to be, and no longer necessarily just what our parents have decided to call us, right? Uh, Which is awesome. And then Ephesians 3 verses 14 through 15 says that all of the families of the world are named after the Father, which is just crazy because even the unbelievers get a portion of that blessing, and that's just awesome. Um, Step four is the shedding of blood. This has to happen. A covenant cannot be made properly without the shedding of blood. Um, The shedding of blood is the seal of the covenant. And most ancient traditions include some form of the cutting of the skin of covenant and commingling the blood, either by rubbing the wounds together. Like the reason why a handshake with an agreement is is a sign of a covenant is because in the olden times, what men would do is they would cut their hands open, they would let it bleed, and then they would shake each other's hands so that the blood mingled. Um, other societies... Ariel's <laughs> like, I don't know. In other cultures and societies, what they would do is they would... And you, you've seen this even in like... I think there's one Disney movie where I saw it one time where one of the witches like pricked her finger and then took drops of it and put it under the evil potion she was making. Um, Sleeping Beauty. Is that what it was? Probably, yeah. Um, that's, That's a form of covenant. So what they would do is they would drip blood into each other's glasses and then they would drink each other's blood with the wine. Yeah. It's crazy, right? Covenant gets real weird, weird, real quick. So when it when it comes to our covenant with the Lord, uh, this was accomplished by the shedding of the blood of Jesus, our sacrificial lamb. So we never had to shed our own blood, uh, which is crazy. God's just faithful enough to shed all the blood for us, right? Um, the blood speaks that we are justified in Romans 5 verse 9, that we are redeemed in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, that we have peace, Colossians 1 20, 
that we are God's properly and that we are being sanctified in Hebrews 13, 12. Excuse me. And that we are cleansed in 1 John 1, 7. And Revelation 12, 11 says that we have victory through the blood of Christ. Right? And it's important. Again, this whole marriage covenant and the idea of marriage, if you can, at all costs, avoid having sex until your wedding night, please, 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 I implore you from the bottom of my heart, do it. As somebody who had sex with another person before Kate and I actually got together and then got to experience what God really intended for sex to be like Mm -hmm. on our wedding night because we waited four years to do anything, it was... (laughs) Not the magical moment that movies paint it, but it was, it was everything that God wanted it to be. Um, I, I cannot stress that enough. And for those of you who need redemption in that area, um, Chris Volatin from Bethel Church is a prophet. He uh, and his family, his, his oldest son Jason, ended up getting together with a girl through high school or towards the end of high school, they ended up getting married, but she had given herself away years prior because she was into partying and drugs and alcohol and stuff like that. And uh, the week before their wedding, she came to Chris and Kathy. Kathy is Chris's wife and was just crying because she didn't feel like she could get married to their son because she felt broken because her hymen was broken. And they prayed for her. And on the wedding night, after everything was said and done, you know, you're expecting, as as parents, I assume you don't expect to hear from your kids on their wedding night. But they called Chris, and she crawled, She called crying because her hymen was restored, and they were able to make that blood covenant. So if that is something that you're looking for tonight as we pray for healing, um, we will have a team of girls and a team of guys praying for people during worship. So don't hesitate to come up for that. Um, and... Uh, it was just, it's really cool hearing stories like that. So step five is called the way of blood. So when you're making a blood covenant, not only are there two people that make a cut and mingle their blood together, but there also has to be an animal sacrifice. That's why Jesus is not just the perfect human that was slain to make covenant for us, but he's also called the sacrificial lamb, right? How cool is that? Um, So he's two in one. And when you make these animal sacrifices, the way that it would work, it's going to gross you out for a second, is that they would take the animals on either side um, and they would cut them open right in the middle so that all their blood, they bled out completely to make a walkway. Okay, And so the way of blood is something that you have to walk through with the person that you're making covenant with. All right. So to make it powerful, you would cut your hands open, mingle the blood together, grab each other's hands and walk through this way of blood so that the covenant was made. Um, And Jesus is called the way, which is amazing. He's the way of the father, but he's also the way of the covenant. He makes the way for us. Yeah. Right. So all the blood and gross stuff, we don't have to get to. Yeah, reference so, the, the, John 14, verse 6. The covenant God cut with himself with Abraham. Oh. I, it's no, a mirror. I don't have that. I do, but I don't have enough time to reference that. It would take too much time to explain and read. I want to. On another day, we'll probably end up going over covenant again because I think it's important. Um, because the reason why we're going over it is because later on you'll see in the teaching, we're all in covenant with each other whether we want to be or not. Yeah. And I'm going to explain that in a little bit. However, there are intentional covenants that we make with people. And we have to understand 
who we've made these covenants with and what it takes to keep them. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So, step six is the blessings and the cursings. After they had passed through the way of blood, they declared the blessings and the cursings over over each other. Right. So, if you want the blessings of God throughout the entire Bible, you will get them in Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 14. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20, Ephesians 1, verse 3, and Hebrews 8, verse 6. I'm sure there are more. Those are the important ones. (laughs) Um, Well, those are the ones I guess reference the most. Uh, As far as cursings go, man, there are way more cursings than there are blessings. So let me tell you, you better keep your covenant with the Lord. Mm. Um, uh, Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 through 68. That's how many curses there are, right? Deuteronomy 28 is nothing but blessings and cursings, right? There are only 14 verses of blessings. The other 68 are all curses. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's huge. Um, Galatians 3 verse 13 is another example of a curse. Galatians 6 verse 8 is another example of the curse. Romans 6, verse 15, and Revelation 22, verse 3, which states that if you don't keep your covenant with the Lord, your name will be blotted out of the book of, book of life or forever. So if you want to take that to a Calvinist and argue that point, you can, because they have nothing to say about it. Anyway, um, step seven is the covenant meal. <laughs> Every week. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not... I reconcile that, that I'm sorry. I, I just think that that whole theology system puts so many people in bondage and doesn't allow them to be free the way the Lord wants them to be free, and that's why I hit it so much. Um, and anybody who might listen to this, the podcast, if you want to sit down and have a talk with me later on, let's get coffee. Don't message me on Facebook. Don't send me a text message. If we're not talking person to person, I don't care. Um, because too many of those conversations get way too dishonorable and way too hateful too quick. So, step seven, the covenant meal. This is important. This is what communion is, okay? Um, The covenant meal says that I would rather feed you my own flesh and blood than let you die. All right? The bread symbolizes the body of Christ, and the wine symbolizes the blood of the covenant. Let's go, this is one scripture reference we'll use, um, because I think it's important. Let's go to John 6. Verses 53 through 58 say that uh, then Jesus said to him, said to them, verily, verily, I say to you, except you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day for my flesh is meat Indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him. As the living Father has sent me and I live by the Father, so he that eats me shall, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eats of this bread shall live forever. 
And then all of the disciples, except for 12 of them, left Jesus that day because they were a little freaked out because for some reason in the Old Testament, God taught that cannibalism was terrible and bad. And for some reason in the New Testament, Jesus was like, it's okay to be a cannibal as long as you're eating me. Um, (laughs) The little little, little humor, little humor. Um, So when we talk about the covenant meal, the last supper, we can look at Luke 22 verse 15 and the entire chapter of John 13. When we talk about communion and when we take communion, we can look at Matthew 26 verses 29, Luke 24 verse 30, John 21 verses 12 through 13, Acts 10 verse 41, and Revelation 3 verse 20. Um, for those of you who want more verses later or who have missed these things that I have said, let me know. I will send you all the verses. Probably just copy and paste the teaching and just send it to you and let you work through it. It's fine. Or you can listen to it as a podcast later. You can. We have a podcast? We have a podcast. Hey, for those of you guys who don't know, um, we, we, are all, we are on iTunes, we are on Spotify, and we are on Podomatic. So find us, rate us, leave us a comment. It's great. Is it just Identity House? I think it's Identity House Ministries. That's what it's under. Yes. So, I will put it up. To, I will put it up tonight. Typically, the reason why I disappear during prayer a lot of times is because I will go back into my office, and the first thing that I do after the teaching is I put them up. That way, I don't forget. So, um, if I get there early enough, it might be up tonight. And if you're a night owl, uh, like Jasmine is, and like Joey are, is you guys can listen to it tonight, and it'll be good. So. Um, Um, Step eight is setting up a memorial. Um, This can include a big stone or a pile of rocks. In Genesis 31 verses 44 through 46, Jacob builds a memorial out of stones after he sees Jacob's ladder. But in 1 Peter 2, 6, we are called God's living stones, which is great, right? So we are God's memorial. Uh, This also includes planting a tree in Genesis 21, verses 32 through 34, after Abraham made a covenant with the king of Egypt, they went to the king's garden and they planted a tree, which was cool. In Isaiah 61, verse 3, we're called God's trees of righteousness, which I think is amazing too. Um, And then on top of that, setting up a memorial includes the covenant record, which... the Bible. It's our covenant record. It's one of the reasons why we try to keep as many testimonies as we can. Your testimonies is your co- are your covenant records with God, yeah. right? Not only do they build faith, not only do they build faith in others and help others get healed and get delivered from stuff, but it's also you keeping track of your history with God, which is amazing. So references for that are Deuteronomy 11 verse 18, Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 22. Jeremiah 15, verse 16. And the final step to covenant, okay, is the exchanging of gifts. At the conclusion of the ceremony, there is an exchange of gifts. In Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, we have what are called the gifts of the Father. I like to call them personality gifts. This is where the gifts of leadership and mercy, compassion, um... Things like that come in. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11, we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then in Ephesians 4, verses 8 through 11, we have the gifts that Jesus gave his bride, which are the uh, apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, pastor. Um, 
Cool. So that's covenant. You guys get it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh. What's the gift in marriage? The gift in marriage? Oh, the rings. It's important. So, um, the other thing is, when you're at a marriage ceremony, the covenant meal at a marriage ceremony is the cake and the toast. So, uh, or in our case, donuts. Yeah, in our case, it was donuts and coffee. So, which is cool because that just speaks to our personality. But when you, um, so when you, in a marriage covenant specifically, and again, we'll teach on this again later, but I just want to reference this real quick because I know we have some couples in here and some couples who are already married who may not know this. I don't know if Matt knows this or not, um, but I, I think it's really important. I just don't know if you've studied covenant. That's not an insult. Don't, don't get weird about it. Um, but uh, when you make a marriage covenant, the covenant that you make isn't just between you and your spouse. It's between you and all of your guests. Mm. So anyone who partakes in the wedding cake and the toast and actually drinks and eats it, they are bound to you in the sense that they are saying, because I witnessed you make this covenant, I will fight for your marriage. Whoa. So if you go to a marriage, if you go to a wedding and you don't agree with the marriage, don't partake in the cake and the, uh, the toast. Mm -hmm. Boy. <laughs> I should have skipped really out good. so many toasts and so many cakes. Huh. Doesn't matter. Now, okay. this is, and I, I say this because this is a way to be honorable to the people that you love, but also make sure that you know if this isn't the Lord's will from them and they just haven't gotten it yet, you don't have to partake in that. Does that make sense? But you can still show up as a friend? You can show up as a friend and support people. And okay. this does extend to wedding photographers too. Yes. Yeah. If you do not agree with the marriage, you can still go to the marriage or the, the wedding what? ceremony. But in order to actually make your agreement with it, you have to partake in the wedding cake and the toast. What if I'm being paid to attend then that's kind of fun. Pray about it. Pray about it. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. I have to pray yeah. about every wedding. Um, and then, yes, in addition to that, <laughs> in addition to that, um, if you are married and you go to this wedding together, you guys have to agree first on whether you agree if this marriage is something you want to help out or not. Yeah. Every time Ronnie and I go to a wedding, we talk beforehand on whether we want to partake in that, that meal or not. Wow. Yeah. Um, because if we are not in agreement, then we're breaking our own covenant. Yeah. I think there's only been, I think that there has only been one wedding that we were at that we were just like, I'm not going to do this today. Um, and I think it was because we honestly just didn't feel like we knew the couple, the couple well, well enough. Yeah. We just kind of got invited and we were like, well, it's an honor to be here. Thanks. But I don't want the blood of Christ to testify against me that I said I would keep this covenant with you and I don't know you that well. So yeah. we were just like, oh. <laughs> uh, and then we got out of there. Um, Kate, <laughs> to be fair, Kate and I totally agreed to Matt and Savannah's wedding. And even though my blood sugar was high and I wasn't getting enough insulin, I ate the crap out of those cupcakes <laughs> because I love them. So good. <laughs> then I laid in bed all night feeling miserable, but yes. that's the price of covenant sometimes, you know? Um, <laughs> 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 
Alright, so, let's get back to communion. Now that you guys understand covenant, alright, we're going to break this thing down. Keep keep the idea of covenant in the back of your minds because you're going to see how it all applies as we talk about communion. And I'm 40 minutes in, so this is good. Um, Because there are very few scripture references left, and I'm just going to talk. So you guys are just going to have to let me talk. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians 11. This time we're going to talk about verses 27 through 31. Remember earlier I said there are three reasons why people aren't getting healed and aren't getting delivered like they're supposed to in communion. Communion is not supposed to make you sick. It's not supposed to make you weak. And you dang sure shouldn't die as you drink it or partake in it because you got to eat it too. Um, So reason number one, let's look at the verses again. Verse 27 is where we're going to start. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. If we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Alright? So, First point, if you unworthily partake of what the forgiveness by God represents in communion and do not repent to him, then you are guilty of fraud and you have cursed yourself with a curse. Can you repeat that? Yeah, can you say if you unworthily partake of what forgiveness by God represents in communion, but have not repented unto him, then you are guilty of fraud and you have cursed yourself with a curse. All right, break that down. I'm going to, so give me a second. This curse occurs because you make what Jesus did at the cross of no effect to you. It is not the sacrament that saves you, but it is obedience to his word. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, it says that obedience is better than sacrifice. So we must be obedient to his word before the sacrament. Um... Before partaking in the sacrament, part of this comes with not properly judging ourselves with regard to sin as a spiritual root of disease in and of itself. Without sin, there would be no sickness or disease, so we must bring forth the repentance so that forgiveness, deliverance, and healing can be appropriated and bring forth the full benefits that the Lord has died for. To judge ourselves is to have the discernment to know specifically of what is being repented for or what needs to be repented for. If we don't know what we are being repentant of, then we don't know what we are fighting against, what to change in our lives, or what we need to renounce. Generic repentance and asking in a generic way for forgiveness for our sins without knowing what those sins are accomplishes very little in life. It'll get you, like, you. Uh, Bill Johnson says it this way, like, you've repented enough to receive salvation, but have you truly repented enough to see the kingdom of God here and now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are different degrees of repentance. And the Father, He does forgive us. Alright? He does forgive us to an extent. We talked about forgiveness a couple weeks ago. You're only worthy of forgiveness to the extent that you're willing to forgive others. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, you, because of what Jesus did, you're forgiven enough for salvation. Everything else is up to you. Alright? So, um, 
there can be no true repentance without knowing specifically the sin area needing to be sanctified. So, uh, in essence, the first reason communion doesn't have its full effect is because we do not judge and discern the sin in our lives and own up to it. This is why we do so many teachings on different sanctification subjects. There is no secret sin that won't eventually affect the whole body of a person or the body of Christ. So what this means, before we move on to reason number two, is to break it down very simply. If there is sin in your life that you are aware of, it's okay to struggle. Like, if you're fighting through it, that's one thing entirely. It's okay to admit, God, I'm fighting through this and I need your help. This is why I'm taking communion. I repent of these things. Help me fight this. Mm -hmm. That's completely okay. However, if there is sin in your life that you are aware of, that you refuse to repent of before partaking in communion, you curse yourself. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. If you are unwilling to take responsibility for the sin in your life before taking communion, that you're aware of, right? Because the Lord will reveal things to us probably our entire lives, okay? And as long as we keep a heart of humility and are willing to work mm-hmm. with the Lord, He'll guide us in that. But when we go and take communion... The sins that we are aware of, that we are unrepentant of, will curse us if we partake in the communion without being repentant of them. Does that make sense? You guys understand that concept? Yeah. All right. So, judging ourselves is reason number one. This is this is important. Okay. Um, this is why a lot of churches that they they do teach that part, but they don't teach the rest of it. They'll say, okay, before you partake in this communion. Take a second and think about what you've done and ask for forgiveness. Have a moment with the Lord. You guys ever been in a church like that? Yeah. That's very good. That's very important. They're teaching part of it. All right? So that's cool. Um, that's, that's why they teach it. All right? Uh, reason number two as to why people get sick from communion is the most serious of them all. It's the one that I get the most fired up about. All right? Um, so I think it's the most serious of them all. They're all serious. So um, in the Lord's eyes, they're probably all equally as serious. This is, this is the one I hit. Uh, this has to do mostly with churches that don't believe that healing is for today. This is why in many churches around the world, of all denominations, people are dying of insanity and disease because the very thing that they need, healing, was provided for them at the cross and what the communion service represents is negated by half. That is, one half is rejected in unbelief and doctrine doctrinal positioning while still being celebrated in the actual communion service. And that curses us. Mm-hmm. Alright, so get this. I know that probably sounded like a lot. i break it down for you. Give me just a second. The blood of Jesus was shed not for healing. Anyone who declares the blood of Jesus over you for healing, the reason why you didn't get healed is because the blood doesn't heal you. This is stripes. I love you. This is why I like having you around. The blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. Period. Right? I plead the blood. I plead the blood. I plead the blood for my healing and my deliverance. No, you plead the blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And the forgiveness opens up the pathway for the healing and the deliverance. Alright? Scripture makes it clear. Without a blood sacrifice, there can be no remission of sins. Matthew 26, verse 28 talks about this. And Hebrews 9, 22 talks about this. Alright? Because of this, 
When we take the cup of communion, we acknowledge that he did what he did for us allows us to be able to repent, excuse me, and to be cleansed and forgiven of all sins. Uh, let's read First John verses one seven through ten. Who wants to read that for me? Oh, that's a good one. First John one seven through ten. Yes, please. That's gotcha. Go for it. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we don't have any sin, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Mm, that's some good stuff right there. Let me tell you what. You can stay there. I'm going to have you read another verse from that later. So, um, so when I said that churches mess this up because they only partake in one half and the other half they reject, the forgiveness of sins is, is the thing that all Christians believe in, right? The blood of Jesus forgives us of our sins. So we partake in communion and we're forgiven. If we're repentant, right? Because um, some people take it unworthily. Anyway, we're not going to get back into that. Here's the part that gets rejected. Here's the part that messes people up. Here's the part, this is why they're not healed, is that the broken bread represents the stripes that we laid on Jesus before he went up on the cross. The bread represents the freedom from the curse and the curse is all manner of disease and sickness. Whether it's mental, whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual. All, all mental and physical diseases start as a spiritual disease first. Because sin is entered in. Right? Um, man, I'm, at the end, I'm almost at the end already. Yes, I'm doing good. Good timing. Um, <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, so, we're going to go to... Uh, I'm going to read this verse for you. This has been a verse that I can't seem to escape lately. Which is cool, because my blood sugars have been much better lately. Part, part of it's working out, but part of it is just... I don't know, I guess I've just been sitting on these verses. Um, in Isaiah 53. Alright? This is... This whole chapter describes Jesus, and it's amazing. Verses 4 through 5 are the only verses we're going to read. I wish we had time for all of it. We could break it down, but we don't. So we're just going to read this. Starting in verse 4, it says, Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes... We are healed. Alright? Now, a lot of people are like, well, that's not talking about healing there. And I'm going to tell you, those people are wrong. And the spirit of stupid is a very real thing. Um, if you go back to verse 4 where it says griefs, when you look that up in, he in the Hebrew, that word griefs there means sicknesses and diseases. If you talk to any rabbi and ask him to read this verse out of a Jewish like scroll... He won't say griefs. He will say sicknesses and diseases. Because that's what it is. And when you look at the word sorrows there, in the Hebrew, it means pain. Like physical pain. Like headaches. Or arthritis. Or, you know, 
hurting your ankle or just twisting it or whatever. Like, sicknesses, diseases, and pains were paid for by His stripes. And because of that, we can be healed. And what I think is even more interesting, and we'll probably do a teaching about this soon too, because we haven't done it in a while, is that, um, you know, he for, the, the, the cleansing, <laughs> I love this. So the blood forgives us of our sins, right? Which we talked about. But in the Old Testament, there are three types of sins. There's sin, there's transgression, and there's iniquity. Mm-hmm. So the blood cleanses us of our sins, but he was wounded. His body was wounded for our transgressions, and then he was bruised for our iniquities. All right? All three types of sins are covered through the shedding of the blood and the lashes that Jesus took for us. And unless we understand that, we won't truly experience what God has for us. Without understanding that, we won't take those steps to get healed to the fullest degree, you know? Like, we, we, we get healed enough of, like, the thing that hurts us the most, and then we stop short when we could be going on further, you know? Um, and even just to testify that further, Psalm 103, verse 3 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and, for not, and do not forget His benefits, who forgives all of my iniquities and heals all of my diseases. Mm-hmm. The forgiveness of the sin, the transgression, and the iniquity directly affects how we're healed. And that's why communion is so important because it wraps all of that up if we would understand it. Without, without knowledge, my people perish, right? So let's bring knowledge to this. Let's break it down. Let's really look at it and understand what Christ did for us at the cross. Okay? Um, when we don't believe that healing is for today, and then in the New Testament it says it too, in 1 Peter 2, 24, it says that by His wounds we are healed. Amen. Right? So like, it, you could, it, some people would say, oh, well, that's only in the Old Testament. Well, that's an Old Testament prophecy about what Jesus did on the cross. And then it's stated again in the New Testament. You can't refute it. It's there. Okay? Um, so when we don't believe that healing is for today and we teach that it is not, then we take the bread of communion, which represents the freedom from the curse of sickness and disease, and then we have brought a curse into our lives. We end up cursing ourselves, which is the the very disease and the sickness that we now say we cannot believe healing for. Right? Yet, we celebrate the sacrament providing for that healing. There's something immensely theologically wrong with this. This happens because we negate one half of what Christ did for us. And when when we partake of the bread, we curse ourselves in our ignorance and our apostasy. Pretty deep stuff, right? And then, like, going along with having a form of godliness, um, but not acknowledging it. There's a scripture about it. Having a form of godliness, but not it's in Second Timothy. Yeah. Which I thought I had in this, but I guess I don't. That's okay. You both. Okay. So now that we understand that, what Jesus paid for, right? So to properly discern the Lord's body, like it says in those scriptures that we just read in 1 Corinthians 11. Let's go back there so we can take a look at it one more time before we break this down. I'm in Romans 13. That's not where I want to be. That's 2 Corinthians 11. That is also wrong. Um, (laughs) Verse 29 says, 
For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. All right, so discerning the Lord's body is twofold. The first part is understanding what Jesus paid for, right? Which is what we just talked about. Here's the second part. This is where we get messed up even more. Let me tell you what. The reason why people, the final reason why people are sick even after taking communion is because we are eating each other alive. That is to say, the body of Christ has become an autoimmune disease. Ow. Hello. Mmm, girl. (laughs) Part, listen, listen, part of discerning the Lord's body is to discern or to know who is in it. The body of Christ is a body of believers that should be loving each other. But instead, the vast majority are attacking one another like an autoimmune disease in the physical body. Mm-hmm. So let me break this down even further for you so that you guys truly understand it. All right? Loving one another doesn't just mean tolerating one another. Oh. <laughs> Loving one another doesn't just mean tolerating one another. If there are people in this room that you just tolerate and you don't know, you don't want to get to know, you're wrong. You're not discerning the Lord's body. If you're going to be a part of this church... I don't, okay, so I used to really be against, like, cliques and things like that because people would break off and I'd be like, to know each other, don't form a clique. Uh, I look at things a little bit differently now because I think the Lord puts people together in covenant relationships, whether we realize it or not, and those people help keep us accountable. Mm -hmm. So I don't like to attack people who are in groups or clumps anymore because I think that that's wrong. However, I will say that if there's someone in here that you are merely tolerating and you're not getting to know... You need to go out of your way and get to know them. We said this before in our intro to community. And when Cameron was defining community, the person that God, the person that the devil wants you to be the least connected from is probably the person that God wants you the most connected to. And that's big because oftentimes, like just like with any family, man, like there's always that weird uncle in the corner that nobody wants to talk to. Okay. There's not always just one. My family. So my, in my side of the family, my dad's side of the family, my dad's whole side of the family is that weird uncle. So I got, I got two weird uncles. I got a weird aunt and I got a weird grandma that we don't even associate with anymore. Okay. Um, and that's, That's a whole other story, okay? Now, they also don't live here, and they don't try to reconcile anything with us either. So it's a two-way street, and there there is is scripture that says, live peacefully with all people if at all possible. It's not possible with them right now, so we just don't. Um, we don't live with them. There's there's a tie there. There's a boundary set there. However, when, when we're talking about our church family, our family, everyone in this room, take a good look around. If you can make eye contact with people, make eye contact with people. This is your family. These, these are the people. These are the people that you are not meant to tolerate. You are meant to love immensely. Now you're meant to love the rest of the body of Christ immensely too. But we're all broken up into different tribes, and this is our tribe, right? So we have to treat it as such. When we talked about when we talked about covenant earlier, covenant means that we exchange names 
that we exchange garments, we exchange weapons and armor. We're willing to fight for each other and we're willing to say, I don't want to be just known as just me anymore. I want to be known as us. This is why this subject of community, and we're not done like with this series at all. I just want you guys to know that this is, this is just like opening you up so that you guys can see how important this is. Um, and so we can finally like start taking communion together and people actually get healed and not get sick. <laughs> That's the last thing that I want. This is supposed to be a place of healing, right? One of the things that the Lord declared a month ago was that this place is supposed to be a place where people can get free of depression and mental illness. And this will be that place. But we have to come together and recognize each other as the body of Christ first. Without that. It does not work. Without us being willing to war for one another in spiritual warfare, going into our secret place and praying and praying and praying and hitting those spiritual strongholds as hard as we can with our own prayers, then this does not work. It doesn't. It, and, and we have to be able to come together, right? Um, so, autoimmune disease. Um, Ryan's here super early. Ryan. Much earlier than I thought. Ooh, I remember. Um, <laughs> all right. Stay focused. We're in a teaching. Uh, the church is the body of Christ, so we have to discern one another as a part of our own body. We're all extensions of one another, so when one of us suffers, we all suffer. And when one of us succeeds, we all succeed. All right? In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, it says, Now you are the body of Christ, and members in particular. Uh, in Galatians 2, 6, verse 2, does anybody want to read that for me? Yes. Go for it. Go and then Romans 12, verse 15, anybody want to read that for me? It was Galatians what? 6. Galatians 6, verse 2. Uh, Elijah, go to Romans 12, verse 15 for me, please. Got you. Because this is actually my teaching that I did a couple weeks ago. Do it. Lay it out. <laughs> Galatians 6, 10. Two. 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 Wow. Uh, there's a 10 at the top of the page. So, Galatians 6, 2. Bear one I'm sorry. I was to that over real quick. Yes. <laughs> Uh, that was intense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. Elijah, twelve fifteen. Right. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. It's good. Preach. Yep. You want to preach? <laughs> Alright, so here's the thing. When we're looking at the body around us, we cannot say that we hate each other or talk negatively about each other if we love God. Alright? 1 John 3 verse 14 says, You cannot say that you love God who you have not seen and hate your neighbor who you have seen. Okay? Um, James chapter 3 Verses 8 through 12 says that the tongue is destructive and speaks both life and death, uh, gives sweet water and bitter water who can tame it, right? We speak negatively about God's people and it should not be so. Actually, let's just go there. James 3 verses 8 through 12. Who wants to read that for me? I'll do it. All right, do it. I know you love James, so we're just going to go there. I do. He's like, he's cute. 
He keeps a strong campaign. I love it. James, what now? Three. Verses eight through twelve. Okay. All right. Um, eight through twelve. But no human being can tame this oven. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Alright. Um, this is really important. We need to... and. I don't remember when we have the accusation teaching scheduled, so we'll get to that soon, and you'll you'll really see what accusation looks like. However, in saying that, we need to stop talking behind each other's backs. Mm-hmm. If we have an issue with somebody, we need to confront it. Yeah. We cannot run and hide from it. Yeah. Not if we say we love each other, not if we say we're a family. Mm-hmm. Okay, That's what community does. We do not run and hide. We love each other enough to say, sometimes your emotions suck, and I care more about you than your emotions, so we need to talk about this. Yeah. Maybe in a different way for a different person. That's fine. <laughs> I am blunt. I'm sorry. Phrase that the way that you need to phrase it for people yes. who <laughs> are like my wife. I would never say that to an actual person. I, I, but, I, but this point needs to get across, okay? You have to understand this point. You cannot say that you love someone if you turn their emotions into an idol that you bow down before. You cannot say that you love someone if you turn that person's emotions into an idol that you would bow before rather than confronting what's wrong in their lives. Does that make sense? So you're saying like if a person has a propensity to flying in a fits of rage, you... Rather, not addressing that is you bowing down before that person. It's kind of enabling them yeah, you enable you enable you enable the sin rather than confronting it. Okay. And you're yeah. not loving them. Yeah, and if you're not you loving them. Confront them, then you're not yeah. loving them. Because here's the thing: a lot of people think that in order to love someone, you tolerate everything that they do. Nope. That's not true. No. No. And people even say that if you hate something, you don't love something, and that's not true either. Oftentimes, what we hate symbolizes and coexists within the realm of how much we love what is opposite of it. People don't understand this about the Father, and they say in the Old Testament He was full of fits of rage and anger, and that's not true. First of all, because Jesus is the judge, which means, and He's the Word of God, and, and any time judgment went out, it was because a word was spoken. That means Jesus was that person. However, when you look at a father and what a father is supposed to be to his family, he is first and foremost the protector of that family. And anything that comes against that family that would hurt it, he comes against and he hates. The Bible says love people, right, as yourself, but it also says says, hate sin with a perfect hatred. If hatred in and of itself was evil, then God wouldn't command us to hate something. He wouldn't command us to hate sin. Hating people is wrong. Hating sin is different. All right? Bye, guys. Um, and so you can't say that you love people and bow down to their sin. Does that make sense? Yes. That doesn't always mean that you confront the sin right away. There is a time and a place. God's perfect timing. All right. 
Like, there it is. I, I don't want to. I don't want to overstep any bounds, and I don't want people to get all gung ho and be like, "Well, after this teaching and that, before we take communion, I'm just going to confront all you guys about your sins right now." No, you judge yourself. <laughs> What's that? What's with that? I don't know. I just. I like accents when I'm when I, it gets people's attention. You know, you paid attention to that, didn't you? Yes. Yeah. At least it wasn't Mickey Mouse. Please don't. <laughs> all right. He does that one a lot. So. Um, Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Man, guys, I'm just over an hour and we're almost done. This is so great. Like, um, where was I? Um, confronting people in their sin. Loving people, being a community, properly discerning the Lord's body. Okay, back at it. So, when we are partaking in the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Him, we are declaring to Him. That because of what he did for us, we are re- we are ready to do. Bleh. Let me start over. I'm sorry. <laughs> Woo! Podcast. I, I'm being delivered as I'm preaching. Say, let, let it out. Let it out. Let's edit that out of the podcast. I won't. I'm gonna let it sit. Um, yes. Because I don't have an editing software and I don't have the time to sit through it all. So, uh, <laughs> no filters on the podcast. When we are partaking in the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Him. We are declaring to him that because of what he did for us, we are ready to do for each other. All right. This does not mean that we die for each other's sins because there's only one savior. The blood was already shed. Uh, But it means laying our lives down in service to each other. When we partake in communion and ignore our brother in his need and in his disease then we have negated the fellowship with with him which communion represents and we are cursed or the curse all right the greek word for communion is koinonia which means fellowship it's it's also like it's funny because communion when we take communion that word communion also is what church is translated into in, in the New Testament. So anytime it talks about the church, that's or the body of Christ, like Quinea. It all it all comes in together. Um, we must focus on building and maintaining healthy relationships with each other as well as our relationship with God. If the only reason we come to church is to have a relationship with God, then we've missed it. Yeah. If we say that we can have a relationship with God without having a relationship with other people, then we've missed it. We can't ignore each other. We can't just tolerate each other. We have to be able to come together in love. This is why people don't get healed in communion. This is why they don't see the Holy Spirit coming in during worship the way that He wants to this is why we don't get like breakthroughs and deliverances the way that we need them. It's all because when we come together and we take communion, we do it unworthily and we don't discern the Lord's body as far as His blood forgiving us of sins, His body being bruised so that we can be healed and actually knowing one another. You have to be able to say that you know one another. That's why, like, Monday nights for the guys is so important. That's why when the girls get together, whenever they do, which seems to be sporadic to me, but there's probably some (laughs) 
rhyme or reason to it. Um, With females, give us a uh, <laughs> It's so important. This is why when we come together, this is why, like, when God showed us how to start this thing, this is why rather than starting, like, right at 7 o'clock, we let you guys sit around for 45 minutes to an hour talking and getting to know each other. This is important. Amen. Without it, the body falls apart. Yeah. And it can't just be a meal after a church service. You know? It can't just be... Sorry. It can't just be a church cookout on Memorial Day. It can't just be a church cookout on the 4th of July. Amen. Um, and to be honest, it can't just be here on a Saturday night, and then for the boys, here on a Monday night. It's got to be all throughout the week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, the other side of that too, though, is like we talked about last week with self-pity. If you need something, ask for it. Yeah. Don't expect everybody to be able to read your mind. Yeah. Don't be able to expect everyone to bow down to your schedule. If you need something, ask for it. Yeah. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, a couple more verses before we close. Are you still in verse John 1 7? Yep. Read one that. Seven. Yeah, right. go ahead. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. We walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another all the time. It doesn't mean that we don't have our days where I'm like, just got to be me and Jesus today, man. I just, I love you. Pray for me, because X, Y, and Z might be going on, but I need a day. Yeah. Just me and Jesus. It's okay. I'll be back, you know. Yeah. We get those days so that, those days alone with the Lord, so that we can come back and be fruitful in our time of fellowship. Mm-hmm. Like, if I don't get enough days with the Lord, or I don't get a day off, or I don't, I don't get my Sabbath rest, I am not as successful or as fruitful in relationships as I want to be. Yeah. I mean, you can ask John, you can ask Joey, you can ask Kate. If I'm having one of those, if, if I haven't gotten enough and I'm moping around the house, I'll, I'll try to seclude myself and just, like, hide from people. Because I just can't, I can't do it. And I know it's better for me to try to get just like it's better for you guys, it's better for you to, to take that moment to seclude yourself so that you can get that recharge and you can be productive in your fellowship and yeah. communi- communi- community with people yeah. rather than overexerting yourself and running on fumes. Ooh, yes. Yeah. Okay? Because part of discerning the Lord's body is discerning your body too because you're part of the body, right? Yes. Amen. That's good. All right. Um, and then... We'll close with this before we do communion. Who wants to help me pass out communion? I'll do it. I'll do it. All right, go for it. One of you guys take the bread. One of you guys take the grape juice, not wine. Um, <laughs> uh, I thought about getting wine, but I wasn't sure how people would react to that. So I just Plus, yeah, people under twenty-one. We not. Uh-uh. Yeah, that would be bad. Um, so First Corinthians ten, verses sixteen through seventeen says, "The cup of blessing." which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, 
are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of one bread. Um, so, as this is being passed out, real quick, I'm going to pray and close this teaching. Uh, hour and 16 minutes. Before I do that, do you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns real quick? John, please do not turn around. John, please don't turn around. Oh, no? Alright, good. Well, Dad, we just come before you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for this teaching. I thank you that we got through it in under an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. I thank you for all that we covered. I pray that whoever listens to this would have a really great understanding of community and covenant. Wait, this one's for you. Relationships. And that we would be able to just really come together and love one another. Um, We just thank you. And... uh, We love you and we give you all the honor and glory and praise in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. All right. Does everybody have their their blood in their body? Hold on. I don't have my blood. It's over here by Kate. (laughs) Girl, go ahead and get your blood. I got it. All right, you guys. It's kind of an opposite. It's true. We don't do the Dunkaroo thing. Mm -mm. Nope. We're going to do this the way that the Lord intended it. Um... So, here's what we're going to do. If you are aware of sin in your life that needs to be repented of that you haven't yet, first of all, you need to say it out loud. Because the enemy cannot hear you, which means you can repent in your head all day long, but if you repent only in your head, then nothing in your body changes. It says confess your sins. Confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. Confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. This is what the Bible says out loud. Now, having said that, I understand that there are probably some things in this room that are a little bit more private. So all that we're going to do, all right, we're going to take a moment of silence. And you can just whisper it out loud. Um, if you need someone to do a confession with, you can raise your hand. And we'll probably, if you're a guy, I'll probably send you off with Matt. Your girl will probably send you off with either Annie or Kate. Um, that way we can continue, I can keep things rolling for the night. Um, so I'm going to turn off the recorder real quick because I forgot to do that.